everybody. Welcome to This Is Not A Meeting. We are a community talking about sobriety, recovery, and overcoming challenges every single day. We don't claim to be experts. We're just walking this journey with you, trying to become our best selves. I am Scottage. Around the table with me, we have... Big Joe. Jimbo. And Jimbo, Mr. 3000. Hey, um, which is, this is actually a very special day for Mr. 3000, because we're, I'm not sure the official number of 3,000 days. Um, I can tell you if you want. Yeah, we, I do want to hear it. <laughs> Today, I'm lucky enough to celebrate 3,289 days, nine years sober. Nine years today. That is so cool. Yeah, that is awesome. Send Jimbo a, a little message. <laughs> I, uh, I actually texted him back today, and I said, Jim, I think your counter's wrong, because I divided 365 into nine, and it's not coming up with that number. And he goes, Joe, you're forgetting about the leap years. Like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> a tricky month every four years. Yep. It's like, oh, now it makes sense. <laughs> How would you use division on that? Because he had the 3,000. Wouldn't that be multiplication? You divide it by 365, and that'll give you the amount of years. Oh, you were doing for years. Yeah, you were solving for, for years. years. And it, it came out to 9.01 <laughs> and a bunch of other numbers. And I'm like, Jim, you better check your calculator, man. That app's wrong. <laughs> I couldn't figure out why the number was wrong. I never would have thought about leap years either. That would have, I would have been like, oh, crap, what did, what did I do wrong? Well, as soon as I Math saw the doesn't num- work. Yeah, as soon as I saw the number, I knew it wasn't divisible by three sixty-five. Because <laughs> you know all the multipliers of three sixty-five. Well, it has to end in a five or a zero. <laughs> Needless to say, I can tell you, I've had nine years without a drink. I love it. <laughs> that is so cool. Congratulations on that. We we are yeah, we're proud. That's awesome, we're Jim. proud of you, man. Thanks, guys. Okay, well, one of the things here that I just want to toss out out front is that we've brought in a special guest and uh, her name is Brenda Henwood. And my, the, the disclaimer that I want to give out up front is that she is my wife. So my wife, my wife and my aunt, my bride of 21 years, we're working on 22 and she's sitting over there just as beautiful as can be. And we're all sitting around. We've got our cups of coffee or water or whatever we're drinking. We're just kind of chilling out. We're going to have a conversation with her. Well, she shares some of the stuff that she's gone through she has quite a quite an interesting story uh, of challenges that she's overcome uh, in her life. From time to time, we are going to sprinkle in some interviews to get some different perspective than just the normal three guys that you hear on a weekly basis. These interviews are going to show you a wide range of things that are out there. And this is the first time we've actually had a woman sit around the table, so this should have a nice little wrinkle to that as well. But the main reason we wanted to bring Brenda on is... Just where she currently sits right now and what she's gone through, sort of like what Scott was just touching on. First off, Brenda, welcome to the table. And why don't you just let everybody know currently where you're sitting with your company. That's uh, an uh, inspiration to Joey and I is how successful you've been as a company. What, do you want to tell the listener about your business? Sure. Okay. Well, hi, everyone. I am Brenda. And uh, it is, um, it's a privilege to be here and to be able to talk about the company called FTBA. Yeah. So it's two and a half years in. Very, very... Um, Exciting. It's a male-dominated field that I'm in, and I am, of course, a woman. And not to hear me roar, but I am excited <laughs> that uh, that I get the opportunity to do this. Absolutely. Now, to go back into what we were talking about before your journey to where you are now, some of the major bullet points that you had to go through, which a lot of people, unfortunately, do have to go through in life, 
you had three pretty tragic early on in life as far as family members that passing uh, your sister was killed in a car accident your father on the job passed away and you also had a brother that committed suicide mm-hmm. can you discuss kind of how those three things shaped you i know it's obviously a difficult thing to put into a paragraph but do you mind diving into those no actually um early on i think um one of the key things that I recognized before I even was in adolescence that there was, loss was evident in my life. And um, so in losing my sister after my parents divorced and um, my sister died in a car wreck and I was age 13 and I just remember the feeling of just wishing that I would have died instead of her. And that was at 13. And then, um, and then when my father died, it was just... Uh, it was tragic, but today, you know, it's it's different feeling. Well, and <clears throat> coming from such a big family, I mean, it's kind of we go to funerals all the time, right? I mean, just it's a part of our family thing because, I mean, what, Brent? You had fifty-two first cousins, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. So we come from a pretty big family, right? Needless to say, when one of the things we kind of just touched over there, but it can have such an impact on families and people that do unfortunately rely on alcohol and drugs is a divorce. And a lot of people go through that. Your situation's unique where a lot of times it's the husband or the father that will leave and the mother pulls the family up. Yours kind of went the other way where you had your father raising. How many brothers and sisters did you have? There were six of us. And uh, you're right. I mean, it was a circumstance that was not normal, uh, but my mom was not in the home, and it was my dad who uh, we stayed with. And that's definitely unique, but obviously you guys made it work as best you could. I'm sure there's been some funny stories amongst that. Oh, yeah. Now, out of those issues that I was mentioning, and to get to the point, obviously, being a successful partner, there was a lot of years in between that. So Mm -hmm. basically... If you could try to dive even further in, like the thing that just struck me when you shared a moment ago is where you wish you could have taken your sister's place. Mm -hmm. That's a sense of grief that I can't even wrap my head around. I'm thankful that both of my siblings are still alive and well. Well being a loose term, but (laughs) love you guys. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Totally love you both. Um, but how do you, I can't imagine wrapping my head around at that age anyways, losing somebody that important to you. Right. Yeah. I, I, I remember clearly at the age of 13 when, um, Beverly, who was 10 years older than, than I was, um, she was such an inspiration. I remember like gazing into her life thinking how fun this would be. She went to college at Carnegie Mellon. She was a radio broadcaster. She was a disc jockey. She was, in my mind, very successful. And when we, um, when we got the tragic news, I couldn't believe it. It was almost like I couldn't go on having her no longer in my life. And it really impacted me in such a way that a lot of things that I did from that age to where I am today is still inspired by her and her success. For sure. And it's almost one of those, like, you have to grow up a lot sooner than you probably even ever imagined because at 13, something that big happening. And then not too many years later after that is when your father passed away on the job. It's just like it's a whirlwind of about a five or six year stretch where all those things happen. And right. 
how do you or did you have anything to cope with that? It's immediately to me, it screams drugs and alcohol just because I'm a former alcoholic. <laughs> if anything like that happened to me, I'm telling you what, I would be definitely diving into the bottle for sure. Well, okay. And I'm not sure who's all going to be listening to this because I, I am in the professional field, but I'm just going to be vulnerable and let you know that absolutely, at, I think at age 15, 16 is when I started to explore with, um, with drugs and alcohol. Um, Diving into, uh, first and foremost, the beer, and then I went into um, a marijuana, experiencing that at the, the parties, and, and it just, uh, I guess, spiraled into um, what I would consider somewhat borderline addiction. Now, did I'm sorry to, to interrupt, but did you, um, did you see Beverly's death? Did that feel like an abandonment, even though, I mean, it certainly wasn't anything that she could control, but would did that hit those same types of issues for you? Did you almost, had you transferred some of those feelings to her? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I felt so mad at God. I was, I, I remember going into this uh, debate on a piece of paper uh, that I still have, uh, saying, why couldn't you have taken a murderer? Why couldn't you have, you, you, you know, it was him that I was like twerked off at. And I was just so annoyed that here my sister was taken. And I, um, yeah, so I was really angry as a 13-year-old. And, but how I would deal with it was just trying to go mellow and and what was the word? Not dope, but th- that Mary would take Jane, Mary Jane. <laughs> so Mary now we're Jane. Back in the sixties. <laughs> so anyway, but no. When he calls I, her out, then he goes back to something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. But uh, no. So I I tried to mellow myself a lot in that anger and resentment, and um, but I was always a fun drunk too. As as the life of the party, I was the party waiting to happen. Right, you, you were like that too, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we were the life. But of the those party. marshals, there's a lot of type A personalities. Where, <laughs> oh, yeah, so you can definitely see that they're definitely the life of the party. Right. <laughs> when when you say that, but that you blamed um, God when that happened, it just made me think of. I thought the same way because when I was 14 years old, I was very involved in the church and youth group, and when that happened with my dad, I was like, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Like, why him out of anybody else, you know? So I, I relate to that with your part of the story. Yeah. So you're you're in college. You've gone through two different deaths. Um, I mean, one figurative with your mom. I mean, yes. but essentially that, that line was drawn so hard that that it was as if she was gone. Mm-hmm. Um, that lasted for how many years? College? No. <laughs> I was on a five-year plan. Yeah, no, we're not checking you. Want to embarrass me? <laughs> no, but um, with with your mom, the the separation there after the divorce. Oh, it was like seventeen years. Okay, so for like seventeen years, and you lost your sister inside of that. The yes. one, I mean, a sister that you very much respected and and loved. Yes, uh, and looked up to. So you've got two major female roles that disappeared out of your life right. in your in your early formative years. You find yourself in college, and what's what's going on there? Well, I mean, again, I was trying to find love. I, there was a there was a lot of what I, as a young woman, was ex- trying to experience is, is am I lovable? 
because I had a belief system that I wasn't, but yet I mask it with being the class clown, being the um, one who could laugh at anything, get everybody to laugh. Um, that's right. And uh, so, I mean, part of it was I was, um, you know, trying to uh, embrace who, who, who was I? I was overweight. That was another thing that was a huge thing. Um, just being an overweight kid and never being asked out by the male society. I was like, man, what's the matter? My mom doesn't like me. Uh, nobody, <laughs> nobody, wants, nobody wants to take me out. I am just a piece of work. I'm a hot mess. And so, um, and then it went into some other different things that, you know, I explored and, and but, you know, I, I really was a hot mess. I was a hot mess. Did you guys get that? Yeah, I oh, got yeah, it. For sure. But you graduated. Yeah. I w- <laughs> well, right. and that's the next step of your loss, right? I mean, that's the next step of your story is that loss that, that happened um, right before your graduation. Oh, yeah. Um, when two months before I was going to walk across the stage at Robert Morris University, this accomplishment that I had, had was so excited about because I had many obstacles in college where you know I was told I would I shouldn't even continue with the track of of career that I was going on and I was like what you know go start over kid you're in your fourth year go start over I'm like get out of here you jack you jack wagon and that was the dean of you know business where I was going to be a teacher and he's like yeah you won't be a really good teacher just uh, maybe you should consider something else I'm like oh my gosh shut up so it even made me put my heels in a little further and just start going and going and determined to succeed and then you know when I wanted to walk that walk across that stage. I wanted more than anything my dad to be in that crowd to wave me on because he was the biggest cheerleader at that time that I wanted to have him go, "You well done, kid." And uh but he wasn't there because 2 mm. months earlier is when he had a congestive heart failure and had passed and um yeah, so I walked that stage very sad. It's like a reoccurring theme so far of what we've heard is where it's like you use all these things a lot better than I know myself and a lot of people out there where you can use that fear as almost a motivation and that determination. If somebody tells you you can't do it, like back in the day, if somebody told me I couldn't do it, I was like, yep, you're right. And I would just <laughs> go to happy hour and go drink. And But now like I'm sort of in your boat where if somebody tells me I can't do it, I want to be like... You're about to see, and like Watch this. exactly. <laughs> right. So the fact that you use that for motivation, even early on in your college years, that's a true inspiration. Because a lot of people out there, and a lot of listeners out there that we hear from, it's just it's hard to basically take that step. And we use the term all the time on the show of that all-in philosophy. Mm-hmm. You were two months from graduation. Somebody telling you you made the wrong decision. Well, where were you four years ago, bud? Well, thanks a lot. But right. you didn't let that deter you. You still went there. And even every day where we're at now in 2017 with your business, there's a lot of people that probably told you you shouldn't be doing that either, but you still make it happen. So like that reoccurring theme is why I know Joey and I wanted to have you on as a guest because it's inspirational to see somebody just say, whatever you think, I'm going to do it anyways. And that philosophy is awesome. Thanks. Thanks. And real quickly, just a quick side note. Can you tell everybody what FTBA for your company stands for? This is the best part. Well, and how you came about the FTBA, because I think that's awesome. 
<laughs> well, okay. I, the FTBA does have a, a meaning behind it. About ten years into my uh, career as a saleswoman in a, a male dominant field, I would meet a lot of lot of engineers in the power industry, and and so. Um, I never wanted to be a salesperson, but I, I don't understand why I was. So I always tried to make light of it. And on the email signature, when I would send out emails or quotes to uh, engineers or I'd have to meet with them, it would always have Brenda Henwood, comma, FTBA. And it looked like, and I did it purposely, like it was a degree. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, it was often that I would get in front of these uh, engineers at a power plant or a hospital or facility, you know, manager, and they'd say, um, "Hey, before we start, uh, what's up with this FTBA? We've Googled it. What degree do you have?" <laughs> <laughs> and it was the, it was really cool because I would sit back and I'd go, "Well, you know, hey, it's a self-proclaimed um, degree." And they'd go, what? And I said, yeah, I just promised to be fun to be around. <laughs> and, it, and it was at that moment that I would um, honestly um, win their respect because I, it wasn't Drop like, that wall. Yeah. And, and I saw people just become real with me. And I loved it because I, I don't have the technical background. What I learned, I learned on the job. But I didn't come across like I was, I knew what they knew. And I said that. So anyhow, that was the fun part of it. So fast forwarding, here we are like 10 years later, and we're in a position to name a company that we were going to be doing the same things in the power industry. And we went over and over and just, you know, tried to get a, you know, a name that could be website friendly, what have you, and be... And uh, I remember Scott looking at our eight-year-old daughter at the time and saying, hey, uh, uh, Star, you know, if you had a company, what would you name it? And she goes, real quick, Starco. I've uh, <laughs> been like, thinking about that one for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, he says, well, well what, uh, give me another one. He, she says, Jayco. And that was Jayco or JJCo or something. And it was our dog. He's like, okay, let's just go one more level. Don't involve anybody's name. And she, he look, she just, again, says, well, I would name it FTBA. Aren't you fun to be around, Mom? <laughs> and it was, it was, that's all we needed was this reminder of who we are. And, and that is. Um, so that's how it is. It's, it has a, it's an electrical contracting company with engineering services that is going to be fun to be around. <laughs> or you can fire us. <laughs> okay, so just to to put a real quick wrap on on the first part that we talked about, you you reestablished your connection with your mom in in your college years. Yes, I went or to just therapy. after your college, just yes. just after you graduated college. Correct. And I know that was huge for you oh, to yeah. to be able to to reconnect that relationship, and that's been that's been a a growth relationship and one that's grown into a really strong relationship to, at this point. We can't go into all of those details just for time's sake, really. Do you want me to come back um, already for another episode? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's fishing. Yeah. Brenda and the three guys. That's what we'll call it. <laughs> I just wanted to recap basically on what you were touching on. Obviously, a predominant theme with Joey and I being so heavily involved with drugs and alcohol before we finally hit that rock bottom. How did your use of the drugs and alcohol with all these obstacles that you went through how did it not become the full-blown addiction? How were you able to put it down and stay focused and graduate and find that first job and get into the sales? Like, how did you, was there something, 
line in the sand moment where you said, I have to leave these drugs and alcohol alone or I'm going to end up dead? Or like, how bad did it get? Or how were you able to basically continue on and be a success without having to be brought down by drugs and alcohol? Right. Um, you know, I, I, oh, I, I love my story, uh, just in the sense that I learned so much from experiencing like um, the alcohol, the drugs. I would get drunk. I would become um, so caught up in my emotional state that when I think about that time when, you know, it was like in my 22, 23 age, um, there, was a, there was a night that temptation was knocking on my door. I mean, I was so, I should say, I was like totally wasted, went to a place where I knew I shouldn't have been. Fortunately, at that moment, I didn't get led into what would be eternal disaster for me. The door didn't open, but it wasn't because I didn't want it to open. But I remember sitting in my safari minivan in the rain all by myself, not being a religious person at the time. I heard these words come to my head and don't think I'm goofy, but I I heard it's this saying going, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. I'm like, what the heck is that? (laughs) But I realized later that it was scripture, and it was uh, um, a scripture out of Matthew. I realized that there was something beyond my own capabilities that needed to get me out of this mess that I was in, because I really was headed down to destruction, and I'm not sure if I wouldn't have been where you guys are trying to collect the coins, um, because I had behaviors that really just were not good. So from that point on, I returned to this couple that um, had offered me a place to stay. And they invited me over for dinner because I met this guy at my uh, work. And he was in his 50s. I was in my 20s. He said, you got to meet my wife. I think she's going to love you. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. Well, anyhow, when I went for dinner, it was two and a half years later that I left. Um, they they just took me in, and I mean, that was my saving grace, to be honest. It was then that I realized that somebody loved me and somebody cared for me, and I'm going to give you know credit to them because they didn't have to take this wayward person into their house. That they um, this was sh- shortly after my dad had died. I was still wanting to stay in the area that I was uh, went to school. They took me in, and I just started spewing out. All this stuff that for years, from the age of nine to where I was presently, to this woman who was an angel to me. I mean, she was rough around the edges, but sincere as all get out. And it was at that point that I realized I had a place to go to. That was my defining moment. And then from that point on, I was invited into church. And, you know, to be honest, I mean, if I didn't have my church and my community... I don't know that I would be where I am today because I'm no longer a slave to fear. And that's what we talk about a lot on the show is the fear element. It's just like a driving factor for everything is that fear. And it's amazing where people get placed in our lives at different times. And right. I talk about when I give my story on this show all the time where I had a coworker that was 12-stepping me the entire time and I had no idea what was going on until all of a sudden January 29th, 2008, when I needed help, he was the first person I called. I mean, another thing that we've talked about is support systems. And 
uh, Brenda, you'd seem to find your support system through the church. Yeah. Where Jim and I found it through the program. I mean, you found your support system through the church. Okay, now wait a minute. I got to tell you something else that happened at this church. (laughs) Okay, hold on. So I go to this church. I'm like, first of all, when I got invited to a church, I'm like, no. I'm not going to become no Bible basher. And number one, <laughs> I'm too fun. I am fun. And so that was my uh, tagline. Um, I am fun. And so when I got invited to church, I went with a little bit of resistance because I'm fun. And everything that I had ever seen was you had to change the ways of you know your style and everything. And you lost your personality. You lost who you were to become a, you know in church. And so... Fortunately, I said yes. So I go to church. I meet a lot of good people that helped me in my first six months of being there. Well, of course, like anything, like I told you in college, I get into college, I become, you know, leader. So I volunteer. I say, okay, well, I'm, you know, I can do this and I can take care of fifth and sixth graders because I'm a great teacher. And uh, so I plug into the fifth and sixth graders. And uh, so I'm like doing activities, and next thing you know, I have these great, brilliant, uh, big vision. And I'm going to do, it was when MTV, so you know it's dated, right? (laughs) Back when they still played videos. Okay, but I wanted to do something with these kids where they became stars. So I went to this pastor, and I said, okay, listen, here's what I need. I need uh, somebody to videotape these kids. And he's like, got them. And his name was Pastor Henry. And I said, okay, well, I need somebody to do this. I got this great vision. Meanwhile, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm just flying by a seat of my pants and I act like I knew what I was doing. So they sent this <laughs> little guy named Scott. And Ouch. <laughs> little, little guy. Little, little guy. Nice. Nice. Um, that wasn't intended to hurt you. Forgive me. <laughs> it was just, you were so adorable. So anyway, so in the process of, of getting this big guy, Scott, into... <laughs> So he comes along and I get to know Scott. And so he has the big camera and he's going to do what I ask him to do. Well, lo and behold, I had a problem before meeting Scott that I had accumulated several occasions with state policemen and they had issued me several (laughs) tickets for speeding because I was always in a hurry to get somewhere, uh, whether it was a DJ gig or whether it was something. And so it happened to be um, right around the same time where I learned that I just lost my driver's license. Good influential person in the fifth and sixth grade. Uh, (laughs) I had planned activities that all parents were looking forward to having their kids go bowling and doing all this thing, and I couldn't drive them. So I uh, tell Scott, hey, I just lost my driver's license. And he's like, well, all right. And I, I'll take you. So, of course, he committed to six weeks of driving Miss Daisy. And so he didn't realize what he committed to. So he started to drive me around from my gigs that I was in Butler County doing, uh, uh, weddings, and, and then also taking kids. And, and we just rolled. I, I saw a problem. We just solved it. He became my driver. Not a big deal. And, and then he became my roadie because now it just, you know, all this heavy equipment, the Sirwin Vega speakers that weighed 300 pounds a piece, he carried them in and out of the halls. And so, anyway, so he became my guy. And so I liked him so much that I wanted to hook him up with one of my friends. And so I'm like, oh, he would be so cute to be with this other person. And, but I didn't realize he liked me. Okay. 
<laughs> that was the dense part of me, and I, uh, you know, and and he's he's just really so. One of my fifth and sixth graders says to me, uh, "Hey, hey, Miss Brenda, is that your boyfriend?" I said, "Oh no." But then it clicked in me. I'm like, "Is this guy like me?" You know. And so anyhow, the story goes on. But he was such a person. So as the result of going to church and saying yes to this, you know, community, I then got a. 22-year-old husband. Lesson to that I mean, story, nobody's going to carry 300-pound speakers for you unless they actually like you. Yeah. <laughs> there was definitely, you should have picked up on that a lot sooner than you thought. <laughs> he still has a sore back probably to this day, but. <laughs> he probably does, but yeah, so. Well, he's still carrying those speakers. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we do. We still have those. <laughs> but that that's the whole, that's the, the part, I guess, you know, getting involved in that I saw the silver lining that 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 in my opinion God had ordained that moment where he knew I had a better life ahead of me and it was about being obedient and 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 at that time because I got so involved in the church it almost I I realized that the alcohol and the drugs were no longer I didn't want to associate with them and so I had to almost say no to that because I didn't want to be hypocritical because I'm teaching kids to make good choices, and here I am going out drinking. That didn't make sense to me. So there was a, I was learning so much in my journey, and it didn't happen overnight. It was, it was truly this, I got to get my act together. Going forward to the current day and the thing that Joey brought up about, about wanting to, to get your story uh, out here is the obstacles that you had to overcome to to start your business, to create a, a woman-owned business in this male-dominated world. Well, it's not, it's not easy to start up any business, let alone, like you're saying, a woman-owned business in the male-dominant world. I mean, what I saw you do, I thought was awesome. And uh, that's why I did want to hear your story of how you did that. Yeah. Well, okay, just, just as, as I graduated college, I do need to tell you that I, I was just desperate to get a job because I had a four-year degree and I wanted to be successful. And so I answered an ad in the, in the paper. Again, a dated thing you did. And it was um, to, to, uh, be, yeah, to become a secretary at a company in near where I was living. And so I took the job. And the guy, the, the impressive thing, the owner of this company flew in from Baltimore on his own plane to interview me. And I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I was already had my eyes on this success, okay? And so I'm like, okay, well, I can do this. So um, did that for four years where I was a secretary. And then I realized that, hey, I have a teaching degree. I want to go off and, and do some teaching. And so I, I gave up my job, which was paying me well, to go substitute at a school in the district. And I, it went, I mean, tra it was really a lot of money that I was leaving on the table to go do what I really wanted to do, and that was to become a teacher. That was the same year that I had married Scott. And so I thought, okay, well, now I can do this because he had a job. I can go and do this. So I taught for a year, and then I liked it so much that I wanted to go further, and so I, I um, applied at a school in Pittsburgh, at a technical school, and I got the job and became now a, a, a teacher in the business department, which was my dream. So as I got that teaching job, I then six months later became promoted to the program director 
of seven teachers and love that. So now I'm in my third year of this and I get a phone call from the guy that I used to work for as his secretary. And he calls and he says, hey, Brenda, he says, hey, listen, I'd like to ask you, uh, would you consider coming back? And I kind of chuckled. I'm going, hey, I'm a teacher. I made it. I'm making $40,000 a year. And, um, and he says, um, well, what I would like to do is have you come back and do sales. And I said, let's just, I got to be honest. I only teach it. I don't know how to do it. I've never sold anything in my life. And he said, no, I think you can. I believe in you. And I said, but you're talking about electrical, remember? I don't know. I, the only thing I do know is you don't put your hairdryer in the water of the bathtub because that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> he said, no. And so I am, I am truly um, grateful for this man who believed in me. And his name was Pete. And so when um, Pete offered me the job, I, I again, I d- put a disclaimer out there. I'm making this much money. He goes, I'll pay you that. And I'll pay you commission and I'll give you a car allowance, and I'll, and, and this. Hard to say no there. Yeah, and I'm going, wow, this is, this is kind of neat. And again, I, you know, to elaborate a little further, that's when your dad, Joe, committed suicide. And um, it was a season in my life where I'm going, I, am, I don't want to go back home. But Scott, of course, said, you know, I think we need to go back home because your family needs you. And I'm going, what, what can I offer them? However, I listened to him because I'm a submissive wife. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, okay. So we went back, and that's, that's truly the God story in all of this because he had caught, like, to move back home meant I was going to travel to Pittsburgh every day, which meant an extensive um, travel time. But when the call came for me to accept this job for a salesperson, it was in Cranberry. And I mean, it was all like, all right there. Bringing you back. Bringing me back. And I'm like, oh, wow, this is really cool. Like, I couldn't have, I couldn't have orchestrated this myself. I, as sad as I was leaving that community, I knew that what Scott had, had said was what we needed to do. So anyway, so I do this for 17 years. I sell uh, pretty much, I wanted to be promoted. I wanted to be you know, vice president of this company. I wanted to be more than just a salesperson. I hated that, but I was too darn successful. To be honest, that's what they told me, that I couldn't move out. Uh, I couldn't, and I was given goals and and targets to hit that um, was higher than any male in that, and I was the only woman. I was the first woman to do sales. They only put my target higher because they knew I would reach it, and I was kind of ticked off at this. I was like... (laughs) What the heck is this all about? You've got these men that are engineers that know this stuff, and they don't have to do this, but yet, you know. So anyway, so I I survived through that because I just felt like whatever I was supposed to do, I was supposed to do. And then I, but I came antsy, and I thought, you know, after after fourteen plus years, I started looking for different, like a different job. And um, I received a phone call from another company that said, "Hey, kid." Uh, this was an older guy. He was a vice president. He said, would you want to come work for us? And it was a dominant uh, company in the industry. And I said, oh, yeah. Uh, what do I got to do? And he said, send me your resume. And so I said, okay. So I sent him this resume. And next thing you know, I get a phone call from the owner of this company that says, I'd like to meet with you for lunch. So they're headhunting you at this point. Yes. So I'm, I'm, I'm the highest paid comp, uh, salesperson 
so far in this company that I was with for 14 years. In fact, that was a bone of contention with my boss. I really believe that I had exceeded the, I, I was told I exceeded the budget for sales, that they were paying me more than they had budgeted for. I'm like, okay. On commission. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it was just this, this weird thing, and it was got weird. It really got weird. And so anyway, so I was looking for an opportunity to get out of sales and to be in another position, maybe leading the company. And so I jumped. After nine months of negotiations, I went to this other company and became the general manager of the service division. And um, it wasn't long after I got there that I got opened up opportunities for me to sit in the executive table, and we were making decisions for the for this two hundred million dollar company. And I was at that table with these guys. I was my head That's was awesome. huge. That's <laughs> awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> but I was I was pretty humble at the time. But I was very excited because this is what I had longed for, to be at this table with. Um, men, gray-haired men, and for them to take me serious, because I believed that I had something to input. And so this was going on, and so then they had this idea that they were going to take me and spin me off into another division that they would own part of, and I would be a woman-owned company. I'm like, so does that mean I'm the president of this? And they said, yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> so they realized the influence that I had in the industry. I, I, I did have um, a lot of following in the industry because of the integrity I felt like I brought. If I said I was going to do something, we were delivering it. And so a lot of people uh, believed in that. So, they, so here I am 18 months into this, and the company is deciding that they've hit some roadblocks because – they really couldn't do what they thought they were going to do. And that was put their wives on this uh, board of directors, and they were going to do things that would make it appear to be a woman-owned business. But in essence, it really wasn't. And they'd be pulling all the strings from behind you. That's exactly right. So Brenda was now going to be a puppet. So um, I, I, and I didn't have a lot of control. And that doesn't go well for you at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it really just, it, and thankfully, because I had smart people around me that, that brought this to my attention. They said, you don't want that. Because you're going to have no control. You could grow this company, and we have no doubt that you will. However, they could take ownership of it, and you'd be out on the street. And I'm like, well, that ain't true. Do people do that? That ain't cool. And so I just said, uh, wow. So I got myself an attorney from somebody who advised me to get one. And, of course, he went over. Well, all these questions that I was bringing up to these men, they basically started questioning wait a minute, she's smarter than we thought she was. And they started to retract a little bit from their, uh, uh, their decision-making. And they said, you know, they got to a point where they said, you know what, Brenna, this is not going with the way we wanted to, so um, we're going to have you sign this document. And in the meantime, I had developed a team that I brought, brought with me, and we had people that were high-paid high people to go out and do this work. We had... had uh, opened up the doors for $750,000 in a mere six months. We had to deliver. And these guys are saying, okay, here, Brenda, you just go ahead and you just take this business. You buy it from us. And they had already bought $600,000 worth of equipment, which would have been my liability, that the payroll would have been my liability. And oh, by the way, thanks for coming. I said, wait a minute. Um, I didn't sign up for this. I really didn't. So they called a meeting in their conference room, 
And it was in 13, 2013, where they wanted to settle this. And so as we sat at this conference table, I had brought my attorney. And I'm sitting across the table from an attorney, an owner, and the president of this company. And they wanted to have me sign this document that said I would pay them for this division that they started. <laughs> and I said, well, um, again, I don't think this is right. And um, I'm not sure that I can do this. And they started to, to engage with me in a, in a manner that was kind of degrading. Because they, the one said to me, look, um, you have an attorney, but he shouldn't make your decisions. You should be the one making your decision. He should guide you. I said, he's not making my decisions. I'm, I'm a little bit further than that. So the icing on the cake for me after about a uh, 45-minute um, conversation where they weren't budging at all, with all we wanted them to do was indemnify me so that moving forward, I was, would not be liable for any of their nuisance or anything. Right. Uh, okay. And um, so they said, uh, we're not going to do that. Here it is. You just need to sign this. And um, so the president at the time stands up, looks at me right in the eye, says, Brenda, you've got 15 minutes. We're going to stand up. And the rest of the guys stood up and they walked out and they said, you have 15 minutes. Sign. We're going to come back in. You need to sign that paper. So I watched these, <laughs> these men in these suits just go out the side of the door, and I looked at my attorney, and I said, um, I need to take a minute. I, I got to call Scott. I knew in my heart but what I was going to do, but I needed to just confirm with him because he's the voice of reason and wisdom. Because <laughs> I'm kind of like spontaneous, and I probably would have said, hey, I can do this. Heck, yeah, watch me. <laughs> yeah, watch this. <laughs> but uh, I knew that I shouldn't, so I called Scott, and he responded with... Uh, uh, affirmation and confirmation that that was uh, un, that was not what we should do. And now, by I, not signing that, you knew what, what were the consequences by not signing that. I knew I took them off. Right, <laughs> but but I didn't realize to what degree. And so they came back in. They went to sit down, but that's when I stood up and I said, "Thank you very much for this opportunity, but I'm not going to sign your paperwork." And you could have heard a pin drop. <laughs> they looked at me with this almost somber, it was very somber in that moment. And um, I said, I really don't think I would have gotten another opportunity. However, I just don't feel like we met in the middle. And so I just want to say thank you. And so the president looks at me and he says, well, Brenda, and they sh reached across and shook their, my hand because I extended it to shake theirs. And um, I held myself high. I, I really felt that what they anticipated was I was going to be a weak um, individual that would sign because they were so experienced and, and it was the wise thing to, to do. Help you. Yeah. They were, they were trying to help me. And um, so anyhow, so the president looks at me and he goes, well, I need to tell you, we're no longer going to be in this type of business. So I need you to help me to offset that $750,000 that you just brought in the door. And so we're going to have to figure out how we're getting rid of that. And I, it might, at that moment, I felt sad because the people that trusted me to give me their business and my team, I had to now go back to them and say, I can't deliver this for the first time in my 20-year career. And so I said, okay. He said, I'll talk to you on Monday. So that was a Friday. So on Monday, December 22nd, 2013, he called me into his office at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I thought it was kind of late to be going over something on a Monday. But as I walked into his room, 
uh, in his office. He shut the door, and there was the HR CFO. And I knew the writing on the wall at that point. Um, he looked Nothing at me. Like right three days before the holiday. That's right. All I can say. <laughs> Been in that boat before. And he looked at me, and he said, uh, you know, Brenda, we've kind of discussed this, and uh, we're no longer going to need you. And which I thought was kind of shady. But it was, yeah, it was because I had also in my position as a general manager um, had grown their business. Uh, And and I'm not trying to do bragging. It's what God did through me because of just, I really do believe that there was this sadness. And as I walked from that office down to my office, it was, again, here's this other uh, thing that happened in this pivotal moment. I heard the words to the song, It Is Well With My Soul. And it was that moment that I realized I'm not alone in this, that I have a a Savior that really does, He knew this was going to happen, but it's okay. And so I hummed the words of it is well with my soul. And if you ever get the chance to read the background of that story, you'll understand uh, about that guy's tragic moment when he wrote that song. Um, But anyway, got to call Scott, and it was the most devastating thing I could do was call him and say, I just got fired. And I couldn't even almost mouth the words because I was so surprised that 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 happened to me. And um, so I just said, so here we are six months into this unemployment, trying to figure out what am I going to do with my life? I hated it. I, I, I didn't have a business card to hand out to anybody. I felt insignificant. I was back in this dark place. I didn't pick up drugs or alcohol, but I did go to the to um, what I know to be now true for me as, as I just went to prayer and just started praying. And um, Scott had said to me after we had tried several times to different ways to get a different job or whatever, um, he says, you know, well, he goes, all I can tell you is no door has opened. And one was going to open for him where I thought, okay, good, I get to stay home. I, that wasn't what God wanted for me, <laughs> not at all. But he was, he was like on his third interview for this big church in Pittsburgh, and he was going to be part of that. And um, it didn't happen. It was the weirdest thing. It, every, every credible author or reference that could have endorsed him, and the darn thing didn't go that he didn't get this job. I were like, what the heck is going on? And Scott looks at me and he goes, Brenda, it's about time you put your big girl panties on and you do what you're supposed to do. And you go start that business. I'm like, oh, yeah, easy for you to say, sure. <laughs> get the heck out of here. And I was ticked off at him. I was so ticked. And so I just decided, you know, okay. So I threw a banner out there, which was an email that said, hey, look at me. I'm in business. Didn't have a truck. Didn't have a hammer. Didn't have a, didn't have a guy on my payroll. And I said, I'm going to do this. And, um, and here, it, you know, here it is two and a half, almost three years later. And we've broken records. We have been endorsed by the government to, uh, and we've been certified as a woman-owned business. We have had major embracing and major milestones that have that we've reached, and I I just am, am amazed. What well, comes so, back to what I believe in wholeheartedly is everything happens for a reason. Right. I mean, it's not your path. Everything is put in place for a reason, and you might not know that reason, but it's coming. You right. Know? Yeah. And I and and part of this process in the two and a half to three years, and, and forgive me for keep giving you a range, but 
I've had more obstacles uh, of people trying to throw me throw me under the bus and in the industry of professional industry where they tried to debunk me by saying I wasn't credible. I was just a secretary. I mean, gosh, guys, that was like 20 years ago. Shut up. <laughs> I, was al- I was also I was in diapers. You're going through one right now. Yeah, I was also in diapers. Yeah, just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I wet the bed. And um, <laughs> But what it did at that moment was it I recognized that the obstacles will never leave. It's how you handle them. And so, again, I think I said it earlier, I am no longer a slave to fear. And whoever's out there wants to get me out of business, that's fine. Because I don't serve them. And uh, I don't plan to serve fear. So, I, you know, I'm going to continue on. And I have a big goal that my board of directors has set for me for this year. It's double what I did last year. So I, 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 got a bit, I can't mess with that stuff. <laughs> I've got time for that. Well, you stuff know? like that for me actually is a motivator for me. When, when stuff like that happens, I mean, you need to, it could put you down, but you also got to look at it as it's going to drive you as well. I mean, that sort of stuff. I mean, it does for me at least. Oh, absolutely. And I think you said something that there is, there is a realization that when something like that happens, you're on the edge of something bigger that's going to be in your favor. Absolutely. It's huge. I was just using Jim's line there. Yeah, he's still my <laughs> I didn't know if anyone caught that. He's still my catchphrase. <laughs> and FTBA is one of our biggest sponsors. <laughs> it is one of our sponsors. And uh, speaking of sponsors, you can find FTBA at ftbateam.com if you wanted to check out a little bit more of Brenda's story. Another of our sponsor is Big Joe's Towing. He is also at this table. You can find him on Facebook at Big Joe's Towing in your Facebook search. We have a website, thisisnotameeting.com. Uh, we are also on Facebook with that. And uh, we do ask you're listening to this for the first time. You can find us in any of your podcast listening apps. There's a button on our website that you just go and you just click it. It's as simple as, as you can be. Just go to your go to website, thisisnotameeting.com. Uh, click on that button. It'll pop open whatever you use, Google Play, um, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, whatever it is that you're using, and it'll pop up and allow you to subscribe and uh, and hopefully share. That's the key, folks. Please share to other people that you think would this would touch to. And mainly, if you do share and you do like what you're hearing, definitely leave us some comments as well on what you would like us to talk about on future episodes. You'll just have to leave your comment right below Tim's on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, Tim, for the kind words. With all of that being said, Brenda, we want to thank you for, for coming and sharing you, your Brenda. story yeah, and being willing much. to be vulnerable and honest about this stuff. Everybody has their challenges and everybody has to get through them in the way that allows them to get to that place where they can find that contentment, that peace and the ability to move forward. You definitely have a story that I wish we would have had more time to go into some of those details because we just touched on some of those those elements that would have been tragic and traumatic in anybody's life. And, sure and you've experienced a few. Um, if people comment that they want me back, is that going to be good? <laughs> absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not to not to steal Jimbo's line again, but yeah, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. Hey, and just one more thing, I didn't inhale. Oh, good, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you do lie then, apparently. <laughs> all in fun. <laughs> Love you. All right. With all that being said, we do thank you for listening. Go in in peace and grace. We love you. We will see you next time.